0: You're tuning in to episode 63 of the Second Breaks podcast. Coming up on the show, we are talking about the joys and the challenges of working in the digital world. welcome back to another episode of the Second Breaks Podcast. And, you know, I so appreciate you being there on the other side of this microphone and making me a small part of your day. It means so much to me, really, to be able to reach you and have a connection with you this way. And I would love it even more if you would reach back and send me a note or a direct message. Let me know what you're doing as you listen to the podcast. You can send me an email, lou at secondbreaks.com or direct message me on Instagram, which is kind of where I hang out these days. You can find me on Instagram at Lou Blazer. So the topic of today's show is all about the digital work world, something that is now a reality across most, if not all, of the industries. Actually, I don't know what industry may be immune to this march towards digital transformation, Even if you work with an old established company, you know, one that's been around for ages and ages, I'm sure you've heard or seen or experienced shifts within your company about moving digital, right? So this is definitely upon us. This is one of the realities of the future of work and something that you want to be aware of if you haven't yet been directly affected by it what is your company doing with digital? Where is your industry heading? How is your specific field of work getting affected? And if you're looking to make a career change, where is that new career path in relation to this whole digital revolution? That kind of stuff. Like I always say, get curious, stay curious, my friend. Being aware of what's happening around you is one of the main ways that you can avoid getting the rug pulled from under you as we Navigate this crazy fast paced changing world of ours. My guest today, Amy Walsh, works in the digital space today and more specifically, 100% online though she did not start her career there. I invited her to come to the podcast because I wanted to ask all the questions for you. But honestly, for me too, because, you know, we got to be curious. We got to ask the questions, right? And so in my chat with Amy, you will hear her talk about what she loves about working in the digital working world and what made her switch from teaching in person to teaching online exclusively the role of social media in her work and let's face it right it's social media I think it's here to stay and we all use it not just for personal purposes but also for work reasons and of course as always we talk about the backstory a little bit so you can hear her career journey from how she got to where she was to where she is today. But before we get to Amy's story, I just want to tell you a little bit about a new project that I'm really excited about. This is actually the first time that I am hosting a challenge, although I've participated in many and I've always thought of doing one for the second breakers. So this challenge is called Rise Up. Rise as in get up, not rise as in uh, starch. <laughs> so Rise Up seven-day challenge and I've made it exclusively for the women. So yes, this is unapologetically sisterhood, my friend, for the women who may have experienced a career setback and could use a little bit of help and support to get back on their feet and regain confidence and momentum. The reality is career setbacks come in many forms, and more people have experienced setbacks than we may imagine because it's not something that people like talking about. It's kind of usually swept under the rug or kind of, you know, we, we don't highlight that part in our career story. But I know how frustrating and isolating it can be when you're experiencing it and how much easier and lighter the load can be if we only had the right support system backing us up as we rise up from it. I know this. I know this from experience. I know this personally from firsthand experience and also from working with people who have uh, gone through this themselves. So that's why I created the 7-Day challenge starting October 1st. You can find all the dates and all the deeds, and sign up for the challenge when you go to the show notes, which for this episode is secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 63. Okie dokie, let's get on with the show. At her core, Amy Walsh is an artist and a teacher. She's taught in colleges and universities, and now she teaches primarily online via her business called Bureau of Technical Imagination, which I will tell you is one of the most creative and interesting business names I have ever encountered. We'll hear about Amy's career journey in a bit, but first, here's how Amy feels about working in the digital space and online 100% of the time.
1: I feel like it's this just big experiment lab, you know, like there's, there's all these people out there. And there's the ones that are in, you know, if you think about them as concentric circles with you in the middle, you know, the people you know, and your closest quote, friends and contacts and followers and people you follow, and then the people beyond that and the people beyond that. There's something about and I think this is partially my art training too. the way I've approached my business has been very much just launching these experiments and seeing what happens. I think that's how a lot of people approach their businesses, artists or not, and being surprised by things. And along the way, you know, sometimes feeling like you're stumbling around in a crowded party and you can't find the door and you can't find the snack table. Um, And other times turning around and making an incredible new friend or finding something so beautiful you didn't know existed and, you know, I, I just think it's, it's very, for all the problems with social media distraction and, you know, the deluge of information and the hyperspeed and all the things that aren't healthy about it, um, it's a very creative space. It's, you know, there's, we've never had access before to so many people and potential audiences, and that's really exciting, and it's fun to play with. There's a lot of room to play and explore. Um, and also, you know, when I first started, I thought, you know, I think like a lot of people, I was like, well, the online space is limited though, when it comes to building really substantial relationships or things that last. And it's just not true. You know, some of my very closest friends now are people that I've never met in person, but they're so deeply a part of my life. Um, and so there are times where I feel sort of isolated, you know, always staring at the screen, and those things can be a challenge. You gotta keep it in balance. Um, But I also just feel really connected to the world. It's really fun. Yeah, that's actually a good segue because I was gonna ask um, what, if anything, do you
0: miss from, you know, just going to a university and being with people, like live, in real life?
1: Well, especially teaching art, I really miss being physically in the presence of other people and making things together you know, or assisting the process of making things. I love teaching in the university setting. I love, and I think like a lot of workplaces too, just all the different relationship dynamics that happen when you're in a room together and the kind of energetic bubbling up and things that can happen there. Um, I love that. I love that, you know, in those spaces, I would be sitting up or standing or walking around or building something. And, you know, my body was more engaged with the world, the world was more tactile and more sensual. And, you know, I think the, the hardest thing for me about running a business online is how much time I'm in front of the computer. Um, you know, so that's just a matter of, of systematizing your time getting off of the computer too. Um, but yeah, I think I, I do miss the sort of group dynamics that happen in person. And actually one of my goals for my business is to, to build that more locally and to create more um, events that people could come travel to, you know, creative branding and visual storytelling kind of events and things people can do together, retreats and things. That's, you know, some other year, but I'm looking forward to that.
0: One of the things that I find is that it's, I have to be more deliberate about building relationships because in the office it's easier because you see each other all the time you know you hang out in the cafeteria or making coffee now it feels like i have to have to remember to make time for it Mm -hmm. otherwise like who did i talk to
1: yeah and there's a lot of people to keep track of if you're doing a lot of phone calls with people and meeting you know it's just there's it's just a different scale of interaction
0: yeah (laughs) today amy runs her business online but like me and you most likely, Amy started her career back in the good old days. Yeah, before the internet.
1: I like being transparent about all things, even age. So I'm 47 now, to give a little context, you know, the life story.
0: So you did start working before in the internet days.
1: <laughs> yes, I did. I did. Although I'll tell you, in 1996, I was one part of one of the first little Internet startups in Boston that helped small companies make their first websites and start their own their first email accounts, which is really hilarious because I didn't understand the technology. And so I was learning how to use HTML textbook. And building out these websites using HTML and the 16 web safe colors and, you know, the first, those first just hideous looking websites that were so high tech at the time. So I've been an artist all my life and that's really been my primary identity. In my twenties, I, you know, I worked in coffee shops and I did freelance design and I was a part of that little startup and, you know, I did a lot of different things to just pay my rent And I also founded a community art center. So, you know, from the beginning, I was always really about community building. Mm. And I founded it without any startup capital. It was one of these things we rent. I organized about 23 other kids, really, who wanted studios. And we've started renting this building that had enough studio spaces for all of us. And our, our monthly rent paid the bill. And then we just built from there. And so that was in 1995 that that started. I was 25 years old, and it's still going today, which is super exciting. But I directed that for not even a penny of pay for, you know, five or six years, um, and then went to graduate school. And it's fun for me to remember that part of my story and to remember that community building was always a a part of things. Um, So I went to graduate school for sculpture and installation um, in when I was about... 34. So, you know, up until the that year that I went to graduate school, I was piecing together a living and doing a lot of different kinds of art projects and going from grant to grant and exhibits and small scale and community building, a lot of activism, work, anti-oppression work, all the things I was passionate about. And I would say much of my adult life has been characterized by this idea, just do what you're passionate about and everything else will work itself out, which isn't always true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) There are other steps you have to pay attention to. Um, But, you know, but I do appreciate having been given by my parents the go-ahead to just geek out fully about all the things I was most passionate about in my life. Um, You know, despite the risk-taking that, that comes with it sorry to interrupt Amy but just
0: something that you said there I I mean I am not an artist I can't draw to save my life or paint to to, to save my life at all but I would imagine that particularly in that sort of uh, field of work this whole notion of is this a practical
1: <laughs> career
0: yes. can we really make money out of art right it, I think it's even more predominant that kind of thinking.
1: Yeah, it's, there's definitely all these different kind of class systems around art and different ways that, you know, status is assigned to artists and not to other artists and ways that you can make a lot of money being creative and ways that you aren't expected to make money being creative and lots of weird ideas about what's real art and what's not real art. And is it selling out to be a commercial artist? You know, all of those kind of questions and meanwhile, of course, there are these giant industries profiting off of, you know, millions of artists making incredible work and, you know, many of them not getting paid. So, the, you know, and of course, the, the economy and the job, the world of jobs and careers for artists looked really different in the 90s than it looks now. I mean, it's so much more is possible now with the Internet. And so many of those categories have broken down and become, you know, somewhat obsolete mm-hmm. some of them so i went to graduate school and that was a really as it, as it should be i think it really busted open my world and and kind of launched me into a different realm in terms of my own art making my own art making developed a lot and i began teaching pretty much right out of graduate school and so between then and now you know really from from 2006 when i graduated all the way up until 2015 I was teaching in university art departments and teaching visual language and visual culture and foundations of art and sculpture and painting and all those things, and sometimes teaching in graduate programs and being a critic. And always what was most interesting to me was how, what our relationship to our own creativity is and what it means to have a voice in, within the language of visual things mm. and objects and all the things that that means and, and how culture is made through those kinds of expressions and how images work, how we make images, what they mean to us, how they work on us, how we understand them. So all of that was really exciting to me. And, and of course, I was an adjunct instructor in various universities. So I counted that I worked in 12 different universities over 12 or 13 years, sometimes two with universities at a time in different parts of the state or the region. And, and, you know, it's just like, and, you know, and I'm sure you've heard in the adjunct world, like if you add up your commuting time and your advisory time and your unpaid faculty meetings and class prep, and it's like less than minimum wage, <laughs> the total exhaustion land. And but I loved it. I loved it. I love, 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 love teaching so much. And in most good university art departments, when a full time job comes around, you apply for it and you know that you might be up against 800 to 1,000 other candidates. So there's a lot of art students graduating from art schools or there, there have been at different times over the last decade or so. And there, and the universities are more and more relying on contingent faculty and not full timers, so it's just becoming a real crunch. So that was becoming more and more unsustainable as time went by for me. So,
0: in addition to teaching, were you were you also creating art yourself? Like, First of all, I'm not sure. Do you paint, draw, sculpt? I think you sculpt.
1: I do sculpture, installation, (laughs) all of my work especially since graduate school, has been very non-commercial, like large ephemeral installations that, you know, I build them into the gallery space. And then at the end, I have to dismantle the whole thing and put it in trash cans, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's it's not very practical, but I'm really passionate about it. And so I exhibited, yeah, I was exhibiting during that time a lot. And I also had a baby in 2011. So at that time, I had a newborn baby and all that that entails, and was exhibiting and moving to Providence, we'd been in Philadelphia before then, teaching at multiple universities, and to supplement my teaching habit, taking on freelance design projects, etc. And actually, after we moved to Rhode Island, I also became the part-time I'm putting this in air quotes, if this is the audio part, the part-time executive director of an environmental organization that, um, and the way I kind of got that job was to, to unroll this vision of becoming an environmental arts organization. And what I didn't really know when I joined that organization is that it was really circling the drain and that the board was very uninvolved. So it was, It was an exhausting situation until I quit. (laughs) So I've kind of had a lot of, you know, your your podcast is Second Breaks. It's about these pivots. Like I've had a lot of pivots, a lot of mini pivots. Every year has had mini pivots. But I would say the teaching and the art making have been the long-term projects. We've now come to the part of
0: Amy's career story where, despite her love for art and teaching, she had to step away from it
1: for a little bit. I was burning out. So at that point, my son was four or five, and I was trying to save the nonprofit, working at two universities, um, and raising a toddler <laughs> or a young child who was very high needs in a wonderful way, mm-hmm. and still really having trouble paying the rent every month, and, and had been my entire adult life. You know, that was sort of the ongoing stress and, and my husband, you know, similarly low income. And it was just a wild hair-raising ride, you know, from month to month. And the overwork and the stress all added up. And for the first time in my life, I started getting sick. And I actually was diagnosed with multiple autoimmune disorders. So starting with one called Graves' disease, which really, you know, put me in the ER. Mm-hmm. Really, oh, like, almost overnight made me very, very, very ill. This was the summer of two thousand and fifteen, and really the first time in my life that my body, you know, revolted in such a way. I mean, I'd had some health issues, but this was like, whoa, okay, and i I went through this really profound learning journey in my life where I noticed how much how willing I had been to exploit my own body and my own resources. In the service of a greater good, even when that, you know, you you think about that in terms of, you know, the system exploiting people or whatever. And I realized, well, you know, I've just been exploiting myself. You know, the greater good here wasn't some corporation. It was my visions and my dreams and my art. But I was willing to really burn through my own reserves in a way. And that was really shocking to me. And it was really a wake up call. You know, years prior, I've been like, oh, I'm too tired. I need to take better care of myself. But this was like slap, slap, slap in the face. <laughs> and I I really had to face like all of these things are things I want. They're all part of my dreams. And you can't do all these things at once. And it's unsustainable. And for the first time in my life, I decided to make a decision based on finances first. And that was a very big very hard decision to make because I will tell you as as someone who's not steeped in the art world, you may or may not have heard about this, but there is so much um, BS in the fine art world about what it means to sell out. And that if you link your work to commercial concerns, then you're no longer important as a cultural creator and as a, as a contributor to culture And so, you know, the progressive person or whatever, I really didn't, I knew that was BS, but I, I felt it, you know, there was a real, I, this was a big, um, moment of my identity being really shaken, you know? Um, but I realized that I wanted to be around, you know, until my son grew up, I wanted to have a long life. And be his mama forever. And I wanted to live a long time and get to make all the art I wanted. You know, this, is, this situation's not working. So, and I was so sick that I couldn't really do much. I couldn't really, I couldn't have gone out and gotten a job or something like that. So I said, well, I have to do something. I don't know how long I'm going to be sick for. And luckily, I wasn't that sick for that long. Um, I'm going to need to build a career from my bed, to bring in income. And so um, I decided to start coaching people because all through those years when I was doing all the different things, one of the things that I did a lot of was peer counseling training and anti-oppression training and deep listening, active listening. And I'd done all these interesting things with my life. And I was thinking, you know, I'm good at listening to people and helping them figure out what they want. So that's where I started. I started as a life coach in 2015. (laughs)
0: I assumed
1: that
0: you meant when you meant coaching that you meant like art coaching
1: or you know that kind of stuff. No, I think I, in order to make this big shift, I had to remove art from it and just just say I'm just going to do one thing. And the art's always the thing that pulls me into big, inspired, excited. Let's do these impossible things territory, and that was not healthy for me at that time. I needed to have a simple job. And it's funny that you'd say that about life coaching because it's really challenging. But um, I started doing that and then the arts started entering more and more. And that's how it evolved into the business I have now.
0: Like so many people, Amy was pushed to create a new career path for herself by necessity, in her case due to health issues. And while she had done freelance work prior to that, it was really the first time that she was transitioning from being an employed person to building a business from the ground up
1: the freelancing work I'd done had never been my business. It was always these little side gigs. So I never really knew how to nurture a client base. And I never really knew how to do the marketing side. I mean, there's a way that all my life as a visual storyteller, as a artist, I've known how to communicate visually. And I've known how to kind of hook people. And I've known how to create stories and sort of cultural happenings that people respond to. So there's a lot in there that directly translates to marketing, but I didn't know anything about how people built online digital businesses. I didn't know anything about sales funnels and all the formulas and structures and systems and the lingo and all the things you're supposed to do. And I didn't know how to have a sales call. Like those things were just like, whoa, like so beyond me, totally overwhelming. A friend of mine is wild about her uh, therapist slash astrologer, kind of um, intuitive psychic friend. And I'd never really talked to someone like that formally, but I hired her just for one session. And she was great because she didn't do all that other stuff with me. She was just like, look, as soon as you start reading all the business stuff, you're going to get super overwhelmed. All you need to do is just build it client by client, start with the people you know, do it word of mouth. This is how she walked me through how she sells on our calls, you know, she gave me 15 minutes worth of instructions and said, just follow those for several months until you have a full client base before you read anything about how to build an online business. So I didn't take her advice because I like to live on the edge, right? So I got a couple of first clients and I had a little party and they were, you know, people I knew. And I read the book, The Prosperous Coach which was it's so wonderful, just like very concrete, very practical. And so I'd say between that one phone call and that one book is how I built the first, you know, two quarters of my business.
0: While Amy initially stepped away from her first love, art, her path eventually, like all true loves, led her back to her passion.
1: The work I do now is I run a business called the Bureau of Tactical Imagination.
0: That is the most interesting name I've ever heard. (laughs) Yes.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, it hit me like a lightning bolt and I knew it was the name. And with the Bureau of Tactical Imagination, I'm actually in the middle of kind of a pivot in the business. It's not not as dramatic as the the career change I made, but... um, Over the last couple of years, I have been coaching and training and facilitating in various ways with small business owners, mostly solopreneurs or people who have small businesses or organizations around telling their story and doing their creative marketing and communicating whatever's at the heart of their work using visual communication, visual storytelling, and recognizing that in the social media space, in the online space, the visual communicators are getting ahead, you know, and that gone are the days when branding and rebranding were best served, you know, in situations where you drop a bunch of money every five years and get all of your colors and fonts and everything done. Branding now is about this evolving conversation that happens every day in your business with your images and your posts and all the things you put out there. So I help people learn how to be really strong visual communicators and be really excited about their visual story for their business. So I do that with one-on-one coaching. I teach courses. I I run free workshops, um, you know, create different kinds of experiences and, and I'm always experimenting with how, with how that can work. And I have also done some image making with and for my clients. Um, and that is part of what is called the Bureau of Tactical Imagination Special Project Unit. <laughs> but right now, um, the, teach, I'm, the pivot I'm making is that the teaching and facilitating and the community building piece are becoming the central foundation of my business. I'm going all in with that because I, I'd rather people have the tools themselves
0: so another thing that I know is now become part of the way that we work is you know all just all these online tools and social media that you know 15 years ago 20 years ago wasn't part of work right right but nowadays right. it is part of work right um, yeah. whether you're whether you're a big company or a small business mm-hmm. uh, you have to be thinking about your businesses' presence in social media or even like I know for example I I still follow some of the uh, the executives in a company that I used to work with and they are very active the CEO the CEO they're very active in social media now right and so mm-hmm. what what role does social media play in your work
1: oh I don't think I My job would even exist without it right now. It's sort of all on social media. (laughs) So what I've been using is starting to change. Until now, I've really built my business on Facebook. The way that people find out about my business, usually, aside from word of mouth, but, you know, strangers find out about my business because of a quarterly event that I hold in my Facebook group called the Visual Storytelling Workshop. Um, And and the most popular one is all about selfies and self-representation, and it's called The Art of Showing Up. And um, I usually get about 300 people to join, and maybe 100 people will participate all week, and I do daily creative prompts. It's in my Facebook group, and people have to post five to 10 images a day. And when you have 100 people in there posting five to 10 images a day or more, the Facebook group is a flood. And people's Facebook feeds become this flood of images of people taking these really risky, playful, creative self-portraits and all different things. And it's all around shaking up your idea about what your brand is and what it means to represent yourself and be visible. So it's really juicy. It's really fun. Um, and, And it's something that I only could have built in that way on Facebook. I use Facebook Live every day when I do it. You know, the Facebook group is is the perfect format for it. So Facebook's been good to me in that way. And as someone who teaches a lot about nurturing our creative processes in our business and our ability to invent and innovate and do this sort of deeper work and cultural change work, Facebook is horribly distracting and horribly damaging to people's creativity. So I have a real love-hate relationship with Facebook. And what I'm doing, and I just decided this year to really up my game on Instagram, of course, owned by Facebook, but I, I love the environment. It's much less of a soul sucker for me and much more visual, obviously, which I really like. Um, and I have been building over the course of the last several months and for the next couple of months, a membership community on Mighty Networks. So that will open in the fall. That's called the Visionary Syndicate. I love that name because to me it sounds like a, a cabal, like the Illuminati or something. So the Visionary Syndicate will open in the fall, and that is um, that will be not not too dissimilar from co-commercial or other network somebody networks where um, it'll be me and what I bring about visual storytelling and culture making. Um, but I'll also be bringing in copywriters, you know, designers, other people who are experts in different parts of branding and communications and creative marketing. So it'll be a place where people can work on their marketing year-round and on their branding year-round. So
0: are you primarily working with uh, creatives, like artists who are now business owners who are, who are now?
1: Under not the necessarily, course. not necessarily. A lot of people come to me because they run businesses and they feel like, like you said, you, you know, I don't feel like I have a artistic bone in my body. A lot of my clients are like that. Um, and my response to that is always, well, everyone has visual storytelling and visual language inside of them just that most of us have been a little bit squished by the educational system or whatever, you know, and don't have a lot of confidence there, but that it's using visual language as something that's available to everyone, whether you're being really smart about how you curate stock photography or whether you're painting or whether you're doing stuff with your iPhone. Like everyone can create a really distinct, beautiful visual brand that doesn't look like anybody else. It's their voice. Um, but a lot of people in my realm are do identify as creatives and a lot of them don't they come because they don't identify as creatives and but they understand that there's something they need to be able to learn and master with their confidence to be able to to represent themselves gotcha basically.
0: So today you, so if I understand correctly, so you you talked about the community that you're building. So it's it's more of a like a support network or community, I I suppose.
1: Yes, teaching, teaching and support. So there'll be a lot, there'll be monthly workshops and monthly themes and things that people are working on together um, and a lot of mutual support and guest experts and things like that
0: fun. And outside of that, will you still continue um your co- are, actually are you still doing any kind of life coaching or that's pretty much no nope. complete nope. finished by now.
1: Yeah, I mean that was finished within the first 6 months that I was in business. It I I started coaching people more and more on their businesses and then it started to become more and more about the visuals and then I was like, you know what? Why am I trying to keep these things separate? I'm an artist and a teacher. I'm just going to start being, and at that point I said, okay, I I don't have to pretend to be this business person that I'm not, you know, I don't have to pretend to know more about the world of business and marketing than I do, although I was learning very fast at that point. Um, I actually know a lot about visual branding, about visual communication and creativity, so I'm going to be the resident um, art professor and visual culture nerd in the business space because I don't anyone like that around here so so it helped me just show up more so it's, it's like
0: bringing what you knew from the outside the internet world into the digital yes. and online space and and yes. letting you know and applying it differently and also helping people like me who can't seem to figure out how the heck do I stop like you know we hear storytelling yeah. It's a big thing nowadays. And then you add, so storytelling in and it of itself is already a challenge. And then you add to that right. visual storytelling and and people like me just freeze.
1: <laughs> and I think what people, you know, haven't been shown is that it's not this sort of lightning bolt that strikes you from the sky where you're suddenly able to do it. Um, it's really about having some simple tools, some some simple prompts and some things to explore. Almost like if you were learning to be a writer for the first time, you'd try different things and different formats and different writing prompts and start to see what your voice is by by doing it and looking at it and learning from it. And it's very much like that with visuals. And now more than ever, you don't actually have to have years of drawing skills or years of architecture skills or any of those things because we have filters and apps and cameras. And we can actually make pretty dazzling images if we let ourselves play and creative. So I really help people find creative processes that fit what they already know and that help build confidence and help them learn about themselves visually. Um, And I also ask people a lot of questions for self-reflection about who you are as a creative being, as a cultural being, like what are the What are the visual things in the world around you ever since you were a baby that attracted your attention and lit you up? And usually there's these, like, big through lines and these big stories that we're not even conscious of. Mm Mm-hmm that point us to like oh well that sure sounds like your brand. Exactly.
0: I'm so glad <laughs> yeah. that you that you said that about writing prompts because when I when I studied creative writing that was how we start that's how we started right that's how everybody starts is that you do these prompts and somehow by just doing them you find your own voice or the way that you write somehow. And I just had never I kind of I guess I understood that way of learning or finding your style uh when it came to writing, when it comes to writing, but I didn't associate that with visuals. So thank you actually for yeah. uh for doing that because I think one of the things that I noticed is that because is that there's a lot of things look similar, I guess because some people sell templates now, mm-hmm. right? So if you so if you're a if, if you're trying to have a presence in social media but you don't feel like you're very artistic or creative and so you buy these templates and so you look and everybody looks the same because they're all templates, yep. right? Exactly. Um, exactly. And so you're you're trying to find like, okay, now everybody's looking the same and you're trying to figure out how, to, how do I differentiate myself or stand out? So.
1: hmm But you're not sure
0: about your own style. And so that's it. Right. Yeah. And
1: just like everything, there are these big sort of cultural norms and standards about what's beautiful and what's professional and what's trendy and what's popular. And it can be really easy to sort of wash around in those waves and follow those trends. Yeah. Because, you know, really standing out uniquely requires some creative risk and it requires a creative process that allows you to. Differentiate, differentiate yourself, not just for the sake of being different, but to actually show up as yourself. Like, what does that even look like yeah. in the visual world?
0: Tell me again the name. Your how to find you on Facebook.
1: Okay, on Facebook, um, the Tactical Imagination Club is my Facebook group. Everyone's welcome to join. The event that I'm running is called The Art of Showing Up. And I, I do those about quarterly, so that will happen again. And my website is amywalsh.net. And the membership community I'm building is called the Visionary Syndicate. You're and building,
0: w- so it's not yet available. It's, it's not open. Not
1: available, <laughs> but in the fall it will be. So if people go to Mighty Networks and they search for the Visionary Syndicate, they'll find it.
0: One more question, um, Amy, if you don't mind, um, and then I'll let you go because I've, sp- you know, I've taken up a lot of your time. But
1: is there a book?
0: Fiction or nonfiction that you know have had an impact on you that you wouldn't mind recommending.
1: This incredible author, Sarah Sontilas, who is a cultural critic and studies photogra- photography primarily, published a book this year called "Draw Your Weapons," and it is. I'll, I'll tell you in a moment why it's important for business owners to read, <laughs> as well as just every other human being. But it's a beautiful piece of literature first of all it's just gorgeously written very unusual kind of format really beautiful format that tracks multiple stories of people in their relationship to photographs and really looks at war and violence and um, the visual language of uh, newspaper photography and war photography um, and looks at the role of visual images and image making as powerful forces for good and for healing in the world. So it's, it's really looking at like images in service of violence and images in service of liberation. Um, and a lot about art making. I think what's important for people who are communicating what matters to them visually You know, doing work that matters and finding out how to communicate it visually is when you're communicating your work visually, you have the opportunity to send ripples out into the culture because our culture and certainly the internet culture is made of images and images have a strong impact and they can be very disruptive and they can be very healing. And this book helps you understand just how big that impact is and it helps you understand how photography works because we think of photographs as like just this neutral picture of reality. And we don't realize that like, you know, a collection of photographs is, really reflects the ideology of the person taking the picture and it really communicates a lot to us. And we're learning all this stuff kind of subconsciously through the photographic world. So Draw Your Weapons is both powerfully educational, but it's also just a beautiful, beautiful read recommend it to everyone it's like devour you know set aside a week and devour this book
0: well it's definitely going to get added to my list thank you for that well amy this has been fantastic i love having you know this conversation with you
1: and- me too i love your questions it's, it feels so fun to just back and forth with you i could go all day too exactly. so you
0: have to <laughs> you have to just come back
1: we have to okay another,
0: you know Part another, two. yeah exactly so thank you so much Thank you. So that's what I've got for you today. My friend, remember my ask from the top of the show. Send me a note or a direct message and let me know what you're doing while listening to the show. And of course, anything else that you might want to ask or share via email or direct message on Instagram. I will be back next week with a new guest. So this is a good time to hit that subscribe button if you're not subscribed yet. So you don't miss any of the future episodes because there's a new one. Every Thursday, I come back here to help you make that move that will lead you to the career that you want that supports the life you want to live. One more time, the show notes where you'll find out more about Amy Walsh and, the link for the 7-Day Rise Up Challenge is secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 63. That's a wrap for today's episode, my friend. Thank you so much for listening and being with me for a few minutes today. I cannot wait to chat with you again next week. In the meanwhile, keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans!